Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For, For Chemist, Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage moving and Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news with Willem van Danderen shortly and we'll be joined by our 250-game veteran of the Victorian Premier League and former Notts County man Dean Hennessy. And while our program regular Derek Dyson takes a break, we'll also be joined by Optus Sports Director of Sport, our good friend Richard Bayless, to talk Champions League and Europe. Now locally, the past month has seen a major focus on the women's game, which peaked over the weekend with the return of the Matildas after a 12-month COVID hiatus and while Melbourne victory upset the Premier League's, the Premier Sydney FC in what was a tremendous showcase of local talent in the W League Grand Final. We'll get started by reviewing what was an underwhelming start to the reign of Tony Gustafsson as manager of the world's number seven ranked side against the German and Dutch women's team with Georgia Yeomandale, five-time captain Matilda and current Western Sydney Wanderers player who's been working as an analyst on the television coverage. Plenty to talk about but, uh, that disappointing start there, but not disappointing. The coach of the winning Melbourne victory side, Jeff Hopkins. He's had his fair share of career highlights as a Welsh international 400-game player across pub clubs like Fulham and Reading. Where does this rate in his stellar career? We'll find out soon when we chat with Jeff, and then we'll wrap up the hour. We would normally discuss the latest in the A-League on the pitch. This week, we're going to discuss a huge A-League story broken by the Sydney Morning Herald's Dominic Bossy that the Central Coast Mariners are in the spotlight of Manchester United. Plenty to discuss there with Dom in a story that is getting plenty of attention of all kinds. I did notice our good friend Ray Gatt wrote in the articles, come out of retirement to uh, to uh, really lay the, um, the boot in on, on the potential for, for this to happen as a Central Coast card-carrying member. He would have every right to do that. In the second hour, Willem will kick off with second edition news and the latest on Socceroos and Matilda Central. And we love talking to journos from The Athletic, as everyone who listens to this show knows. This week, it's Dermot Corrigan who covers La Liga with Real and Barca charging back into contention against Atletico. The final couple of months of the competition is shaping as a classic end to what was looking as a disappointing season for the mega clubs. Can Atletico hold on? We'll talk to Dermot about that. And then Premier League Champions League with Richard Bayless. And we'll wrap it up with stoppage time and we'll lament but reflect on the departure of one of the great brands of football in this uh, country, the World Game. It was announced this week that SBS are discontinuing that brand name in future across their digital platforms. But Edge, um, like where do we start? Every story I think in the show this week could be the lead story. Obviously the lead story is the form of the Matildas the shock associated with the depth not stepping up, albeit there are excuses uh, around why we perform that way, and we'll talk to Georgie Armandale about that. And the, the second one for me is the WLE Grand Final, which was a fantastic end. You should have lobbied to have it on top after your road trip up there. Yeah, I had a road trip the up there. there, mate. You, you were telling me that you, you were just doing laps of Cogra Oval. You I had so many groups like of kitten. Yeah, I had so many groups of people to um, spend time with up there that I was doing laps of Cogra, Cogra Oval. It was quite a cold day, uh, unusually cold up there, but it was... Uh, it was, a, it was a good event. Yeah, um, yeah, the release pies, I had one of those. They were very good. But <laughs> for me, um, uh, look, you know, Sydney and Melbourne uh, have the best uh, young talent in the in the, uh, in the the competition and they were on display. Uh, Princess Sabini, uh, Rachel Lowe in particular for Sydney and for Melbourne, obviously Cairo Cooney-Cross, uh, Melina Ayres. So it was, uh, it was a very, very good game um, and it was uh, a tense game. And uh, Yada Wyman... Um, did a fantastic job in uh, in holding out uh, the avalanche, which was Melbourne Victory's attacks, 
but in the end, it was a Kyra Cooney cross. Cross by name. Cross, cross by, by nature, yeah, and uh, that uh, got the job done in Melbourne Victory, uh, the champions for this year, and uh, we'll talk to Jeff Hopkins in the third segment and uh, and uh, reflect on his two fantastic seasons, really, uh, Premier's Plate last year and Championship this year, so he's, he's done well. G'day, guys. Great to be back well. for another <laughs> week. If you're ready for some news. <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> Has been, a, as you mentioned, Rob, a bit of a mixed bag in the newsroom this week, some good stories, some sad stories, and a concerning story if you're a fan of the Central Coast Mariners, like Ray Gatt, is their, uh, their future has come under scrutiny once again, with owner Mike Charlesworth in discussions with multiple parties interested in moving the club. It was first broken by Dom Bossy that Manchester United have held talks over buying the club, which would include a rebrand, or could include a rebrand, and move to Northern Sydney. This was followed by news the American consortium backing the Gold Coast return to the A-League have signalled their intent on moving the licence north. It's believed Talks with the Gold Coast Consortium are more advanced than those with Manchester United. This, guys, for lovers of the A-League, the Central Coast Mariners, was, I thought, just brutal news. Things are going so well on the pitch. They're riding what will hopefully be such a magnificent chapter at the moment. And it's just a, a bit of a, a brutal reminder that these, of course, aren't clubs. They are franchises with licences. And in my opinion, it's got to be avoided at all costs. But again, I haven't seen the balance sheet of the club and Mike Charlesworth sort of has the right to do what he wants. They're private entities and they can do what they want uh, provided that uh, the APL and FFA sign off. And to Ray Gatt, you know, um, Gatty's a legend and he's been such a amazing part of uh, the football folklore. But crocodile tears for me, if Gosford wanted... They're not crocodile tears, mate. They're genuine tears no, if from Gatty. For me, if if Gosford wanted that team, they the, the fans need to come out. Mm. Um, the communities need to commercially support them, and and they really haven't. They've been battling for so long, um, and you know maybe Northern Sydney yeah, deserves but, it. But, Northern but, but, Sydney is a, is a mate, growth. Northern Sydney is a, is a growth sector. wasteland. It's uh, mate. Having grown up there, mate, the North well, Sydney Bears were kicked wrong. out of the NRL. Just bear with me. Um, well, we're not kicked talking out of the NRL here. for a reason, and uh, and and like the Gold Coast, um, you know, a, a famous. Location for uh, for sporting clubs to, to to sink. I know Willem's very eager to get on this, and you and I could get into a, a, a quick answer. Only one step. Uh, the, well. the, the biggest growth in uh, in football participation yeah. in Sydney is Northern Sydney. Gold Coast is a sporting wasteland as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving on to is. some big commercial news: the Commonwealth Bank has signed a four-year deal with Football Australia to become the naming rights partner of the Matildas, Junior Matildas, and Young Matildas from this August. Having sponsored women's cricket for 20 years, CBA is now the biggest backer of female sport in the country, with this football deal tying in with the game's Legacy 23 plan. The news signals the end of Westfield's 13-year stint as the Matildas naming rights partner. Rob, we've been reporting over the the Mm. past couple of months under the the Football Australia Mm. uh, generation and the APL era Mm. that they're building sort of an army of smaller financial contributors, but this one seems like the most significant so far. Yeah, it does, and um, and we've been paying credit to the commercial department at College Street and recent times for some of the deals that are getting done and, and, and credit to the Lowy family for uh, supporting via Westfield's um, women's uh, football for, for so long uh, um, when uh, the hard yards were there to be done they were there and uh, and you know they were there not, not there just in the good times and that's not to suggest that the Commonwealth Bank are but this is the reward for effort uh, 
once you put that uh, that time in. So um, yeah, hats off to uh, College Street. They're doing some good deals there, and um, and this will uh, uh, be harvested over the course of the next several years, leading up to the World Cup. SBS has announced it will discontinue its football coverage under the banner of the World Game, with its digital platform to be consumed by SBS Sport. The World Game began in 2001 as a weekly six-hour TV show hosted by Johnny Warren and Les Murray, although operations have been pared back in recent years. Football Australia have stated they're encouraged. SBS will still cover football in some capacity, though SBS Sport are through SBS Sport, rather, with the station also holding the rights to the 2022 World Cup. We're going to talk about this uh, later on, Rob, in stoppage time, but for now, it is and has been just such a mainstay and cornerstone of the Australian football media. It's a resource I know I use weekly and you use weekly in preparing for this show, and there have been concerns and sort of it's been noted the sort of quality has reduced over the, the past few years, but it's still a massive pillar of the Australian football media. Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, I guess the fact is that for many, many years, uh, those of us who want to get our content, um, f- source it from all over the world now, uh, we just go to whatever newspaper we can. You know, you get behind a paywall or you can read limited articles on different newspapers and, and websites. You might subscribe to The Athletic, as we all do. Uh, um, so it um, it's a harder and harder argument to, to maintain a digital platform on a local basis for, for football. But, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, no, no matter what way you cut it, it's it's disappointing. But yeah, credit where um, it is due to uh, to have um, uh, such a, a long heritage from the SBS, um, and uh, we we you know we'll look forward to having out about that in stoppage time as well. So, Michael, why would they not continue it in some capacity if they're planning to broadcast the World Cup? Oh, well, they just don't have any other content, do they? they they've got the, uh, the, the the numbers associated with uh, the world game, world game online broadcast have been really bad, and uh, ultimately they don't have any content to support uh, the the infrastructure that's required. Uh, if they had A League rights or W League rights or Italian football rights or whatever, you know, they'd be able to do it. They've lost everything other than the World Cup stuff. So, and the World Cup stuff is a legacy of Les's deal twelve years ago. So, ultimately. Um, it is what it is, and uh, football's moved on to new homes, and uh, SBS needs to probably focus its energies into its core demographic. Well, well, well done. We'll talk about that more in stoppage time. Okay, uh, fellas, uh, a busy, busy show coming up. We're talking to Georgia Yamandale. Uh, she's a Fox Sports analyst as well as a former Matilda, current Western Sydney Wanderers player. It was super disappointing what we saw over the weekend, uh, but we'll give the excuses. Tony Gustafsson uh, gets a few brownie points uh, uh, in, um, in terms of his legacy, his history with the US national women's side, and uh, um, and it can only go up from here, but uh, we'll find out just how bad it was with uh, Georgia Yamandale after the break on Box to Box. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most Yes, this is Box to Box. We've got a busy show this week. We're going to kick it off, though, with uh, the Matildas. Uh, there was so much excitement um, and so much anticipation about the return of the Matildas uh, post-COVID. Uh, we were rolling out um, the uh, European cream of the crop uh, under Tony Gustafsson, the... the uh, uh, assistant to Jill Ellis, the all-conquering Jill Ellis from the United States national women's team. Everyone just about was in the peak of their form, barring a couple of exceptions, and we were going up against the the, um, the reigning Olympic gold medalist in the world number five, uh, Germany and the Dutch, respectively. But uh, to say that um, the Matildas were torn apart um, in both games is not underestimating it because uh, there were so many missed opportunities from the opponents in both those games that the score could have been far heavier. Georgia Yeomandale is a former... Matilda herself, current player with the Western Sydney Wanderers and analyst with Fox Sports. How are you, Georgia? Yeah, good. 
good, thank you. Good to be here. So, George, I guess that to get started, uh, we, we want to be fair and we want to give Gustafs and, and our girls, um, you know, a, a reasonable uh, opportunity to, to, to gel together. But the players have been playing together for many years and uh, I think Gustafsson could have expected a, a, a lot more than this, despite the fact that, for example, sake, the Germans have played at least six games since late last year and their chemistry, they're on their home deck. Um, but um, we, we just didn't look competitive for most most part, the large parts of both games. Yeah, no, we didn't. It was it was quite a disappointing performance, I suppose. Results aside, it was a disappointing performance from, from our girls. I, I mean, you've got to look at the fact that it wasn't our strongest side. Yes, we've got all the players who are doing really well over in Europe at the moment, but they didn't take any Australian-based um, players over there. So you had, I guess, the cream of the crop of our Matildas girls and then filled in the spots with a lot of other younger players, I suppose, that are playing in Europe at the moment. So nowhere near our strongest side. You've got a coach coming in for the first time. They had, I think, you know, three or four days before the first game to actually get any kind of game plan in place. And then you're going up against world number two first up. So it was it was a huge ask um, for the girls. But for me, disappointing performance, considering we do have those key players in, in you know, key positions, and they just didn't seem to... George, if we use the uh, the tournament and tournament of nations victory over the United States as a high benchmark, we we're missing Carpenter, Catley, Legazzo, Yallop, who's uh, was then to make a butt, and Lisa Devanna out of effectively that that team. Um, so obviously they're significant outs, um, and you'd think that Carpenter, Catley, Legazzo, and Tamika Yallop uh, would be. Um, pretty much regular starters. And Lisa, who knows what's going on with Lisa? We might talk about that in a moment. But um, we can't shy away from the fact that it's the first time that we have conceded five goals in consecutive matches for over 25 years and our worst performance since 2008. So we, we can't paper over the cracks by saying we were missing frontliners because the, crack, the, the cracks are our depth uh, and our development. And it's been wanting for quite a while. Um, pretty poor... Um, returns at Asian Cups for under 16 and under 19 age groups um, only only you know um, um, sporadic sort of uh, talent like Mary Feller sort of plucked uh, out of uh, out of the wilderness as well as you know Ellie Carpenter when they're very young but I mean what does it say about our, it's a long sort of prologue to the question but what's it say about our depth and what does it say about our development these results yeah look it, it does expose our lack of depth um especially in those key positions of left and right fullback. Seeing Catley and Carpenter out, that was one area that we were really exposed was was in those wide positions. I think that, you know, you can't underestimate the strength of the German forward line and the strength of of the Netherlands, but we should be competing competing better than that. And then I go, I go back to the fact that we couldn't, whether we have young depth or not at the moment, we couldn't really explore that in these games because we were limited to players who are currently playing overseas in European leagues, which I think, you know, out of however many players we pulled into camp for these games, there's maybe two or three that are overseas at the moment that didn't go. So that just shows it was kind of anyone who's overseas comes into these games, whether they are 
you know, the strongest depths that we have at the moment or not. Um, I think that the W League this year has uncovered a lot of, you know, great talent coming through um, from younger generations. I think Kyra Cooney-Cross had an absolute standout season in terms of young players and someone who would be in that mix given the opportunity, yet was obviously ineligible for selection because she is based in Australia. So we do have gaps in terms of depth in some key positions, um, but in these games, we didn't actually get to explore probably the, the strongest of the players to fill in those gaps. This is Box to Box. We're talking to Fox Sports analyst, former Matilda and current Western Sydney Wanderers player, Georgia Yeomandale, about the Matilda's uh, uh, underwhelming last two outings uh, against the Germans and the Dutch. If we take some positives... Um Georgia, I, I thought there were two. Obviously, Emily Gilnick's f- form from the W League carried over. She scored two goals uh, against Germany, uh, uh, plays she'll know well, having played in the Bundesliga. And the other one for me was Beattie Goad. Um, I do remember Beattie in the W League for Melbourne City before she uh, went to college um, at Stanford, and uh, and obviously Stanford being one of the stronger college teams. She played every, every game over her four-year study uh, stint there and um, three titles. So Beattie didn't look out of place at all. Um, what did you think of Beattie's um, uh, bloody in the in the senior team? Yeah, I was really impressed, and and especially because it you know you know debut game, uh, she got thrown in the mix early on in the game with Carly Rossbacken going down with injury within ten minutes, um, so didn't probably didn't prepare herself to play that many minutes. But you're right, didn't look out of place at all. Um, definitely held her ground and within you know that first half made two really key tackles which could have seen Germany go up um, even more with more goals on the board but um, yeah key performance there from Beattie Goad I would love to see how she develops over the next few years playing over in Germany it's a it's a league that um, you know relies a lot on strength and that's probably an area of weakness in her game at the moment is is her strength um, and I think that you know that playing in that German league is only going to to help accelerate her game. So definitely a player who will be in contention for um, for the Olympic squad to be you know a reserve player for those positions. Uh, you know, Catley and, and Carpenter will still fall straight back into those spots, rightly so, um, being really key players, but. Great performance from Beattie Goad. And then Emily Gilnick stands up as well. Um, Good to see the fact that the W League can actually transition into international football. There's a lot of talk about the W League not being good enough um, to prepare people. But, you know, take Emily Gilnick as a great example of of what it can actually do for um, players' current current talents and, and... to get two goals against Germany was was a great effort from her, especially considering the the dominant performance that Germany had. Yeah, I agree. I think the W League uh, is developing into a, a fine development league, and this year's emerging talent, uh, especially in Sydney and Melbourne's list, was was impressive. Um, Georgia, um, Lisa Devanna, um we got the impression it was never said behind the scenes. You hear things, but um, Ante Milotic uh, didn't seem to. Um, Figure Lisa in the as a top liner in his squad. Um, she had a disappointing 2019 
FIFA World Cup. Uh, she was injured early, uh, didn't really participate a lot. Um, is there a role for Lisa Devanna in the in the Matilda setup? She still has elite pace. She's um, she had an up and down W League season this year, but she did turn it on at the right time. Is there a is there a chance that Lisa Devanna still has a a place uh, in the Matildas, maybe in the Olympics or the twenty three Women's World Cup? Yeah, look, I think she does. I, I put her in my eighteen for um, the Olympic Games, just purely based on I guess the flair that she can bring. I think that she would play more of a uh, super sub kind of role yep. coming on late um, and trying to change a game. Her performance in the semi-final and the final of the W League just showed that, you know, as a player, she she still got everything that she has had um, throughout her career and her pace, um, her ball control, her ability to get in positions to score goals and also to set up goals. Um, so I think that she would be a great addition to come into uh, the Olympic squad, especially given the short amount of time that we have to prepare for it and then therefore the short amount of time to actually blood any young talent to come into that position. She's you know, got a wealth of international experience and I think that that can add a lot she, her um, Instagram form was pretty good too. Was her stories through the W League finals were, were hilarious for those people that followed her. The old the old girl was uh, was was on point. She is a character. <laughs> As we found out on this show on a couple of occasions, yeah, we have. Yeah, um, she's been she, a lot of fun. Uh, isn't uh, <laughs> averse to uh, pulling a prank uh, mid interview as well. Uh, Georgia was. We found out on one occasion. Hey, Georgia, look, thank you so much for your time. Um, we'd love to talk to you again, and no doubt um, there will be better times ahead. Uh, we know that there will be because if this is uh, rock bottom for the Matildas in their current status, yet a post COVID, you can't get the best team together. Five days to prepare against some of the world's best. Then. You know, you're not expecting anything but a, you know, a, a competitive performance. It wasn't competitive. Tony Gustafsson knows he's in the big chair. He's got the big pants on now, and he knows he's got a big job ahead of him. So, um, next time we talk to you, uh, we uh, we expect it'll be a little bit more with a little bit more optimism. Yeah, definitely. I think that there's a lot to come from this Matilda squad, and it's definitely not down and out yet. Um, I'm sure they'll be be turning it around. Yeah. Hey, Georgia, thank you so much again for your time. We'll look forward to talking to you next time, Georgia Yamandale from Fox Sports. Thank you. Okay, stick around. We're going to talk to Jeff Hopkins, the former Welsh international, 400 games uh, in Europe, but he's the manager of the Melbourne Victory and uh, he's just taken them as underdogs to win the grand final, which Michael was at. We talked about that a little earlier in the show, but uh, he was there with Jeff. He sent his selfie with him and uh, and Molina is after the grand final with uh, the grin that would have uh, done a split watermelon proud, Michael. So, yes, uh, yeah, we yeah, were all there. happy families. Beautiful. All right, after the break, Jeff Hopkins on Box to Box. Box to Box. For Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal. Yes, this is Box to Box on Nine Radio NTS News Talk Sport. We've been talking it up for a while now. The uh, the W League season came to a brilliant crescendo on the weekend uh, with a fabulous grand final. Sydney FC, of course, the Premiers, but uh, Melbourne victory upset the uh, the Premiers and won the grand final. We uh, are going to talk to our good friend, the manager, 400-game player in Europe, uh, Welsh international himself in his own right. Uh, we're interested to find out where this sits on the scale of his achievement, Jeff Copkins, in a moment. But, Jeff, before you jump in, mate, have a listen to this. Final seconds. Jada Wyman under Ed Prosper. It's finally beaten. Scored from a corner, 120th 
don't know whether you'd heard that before, but uh, that will bring back uh, a few uh, hairs in the back of your neck, Jeff. Yeah, I've, uh, I've, I think I have. I have heard that one before. It's, uh, it was, uh, yeah. I'm, I had my um, five penalty takers in my hand, and I was ready for <laughs> I was ready for penalties by that moment. Um, and uh, yeah, it was uh, it's great watching it again. It was a great delivery from Kyra, um, and it's, it's quite fitting that she kind of uh, capped it off because um, she's been uh, absolutely phenomenal for us this season. Um, and close as of as, as of, as of uh, as the rest of the, the side as well. And close, uh, close watchers of women's football will know that Kyrie has done that before a few times, scored from a corner. So it's not an unusual thing um, for, for Kyrie to do. But just for listeners right around Australia, uh, Jeff Hopkins, congratulations. You are now uh, the most successful W League coach uh, in the history of the W League. Three championships and five grand finals, not to mention the Premier, Premier's plates that you've won along the way. How many Premier plates have you won? Uh, maybe a couple. Yeah, I think there's two or three. Yeah, so uh, congratulations, Jeff. You are um, uh, now rightly uh, right up there in terms of uh, um, coaches in the W League for success and, de- and development. Um, it was a fantastic game, but I just I have to ask you, um, it was tense. I was doing laps of Cogger. I had so many groups of people from both uh, camps to see, but uh, uh, how did you how did you ride that one out and? Did you just think that with all of the missed chances, in particular, Cooney, Cross, uh, uh, Devanna and Ayres all had very gettable chances, not to mention other ones, but um, did you think just maybe they might go down the other end and score at the last moment? Look, there was always there was always that worry. Um, but I've got to say, I, normally in that situation, I'd be a, a lot more tense. But I just, I, I just wasn't. Uh, um, the players were so... They were they, they were relaxed and out there, or they seemed to be, and they, they were relaxed and confident. It was, uh, you know, two or three times in the game, you know, when we missed chance after chance after chance, girls came over to the side and they were smiling and laughing and almost, you know, ah, joking about the, the ball's not going in the net. And there was no real, there was no real tension there. You know, uh, yeah, I kept, I kept the. Uh, as usual, I kept our two central defenders on their toes to make sure everything was right at the back because um, we were having a huge amount of possession. But um, yeah, I, I was for the, the state of the game and the importance of the game. I wasn't really, uh, I wasn't really that stressed. Well, you, you you must admit you looked pretty cool and cool and calm. But um, uh, just to, just for Melbourne victory. Uh, Fans, um, what were the emotions at the at, when the final whistle was blown? What was the first thing you thought about? It didn't just happen this year. It's been a, a kind of culmination of five years of hard work, really. And uh, I came to the club um, five years ago, and with uh, with the aim of bringing a bringing bringing a championship. And you know, the um, I think uh, I've had you know, we've had a lot of. Um, a lot of help along the, along the way. Um, a lot of people have been through the through the team. You know, we've had staff members, and yeah, it, it was uh, it was a little bit of relief that, that it was there. But it was really I felt a lot of, a lot of pride and satisfaction for myself, and but for for, but for all the other people that have uh, put in a lot of hard work over the years. 
This is Box to Box. We're talking to manager of the successful Melbourne Victory Grand Final winning side in the W League on the weekend. Michael was up there. He's got a lovely selfie with Jeff and uh, his uh, protege, Molina Rez, uh, that's going to get yes, framed sir, straight been, to the pool room. Lots of smiles there. Happy families. But I've got a serious question for you. Up in Brisbane, four Grand Finals. Uh, Tamika Yellop, uh, knee butt, obviously. Keller Knight, Polkinghorne, Gorry, Gilnick. Um that group has obviously gone on to do great things for the national team and also for their, their club in Brisbane Roar. But um, can Cooney Cross, Ayres, Barbieri, Doran, um, as young Victorians that have uh, really cut their teeth in the last two years in particular win your team, can they emulate the success of the group you had in Brisbane in time? Yeah, look, I, I don't see why not. I think um, they're, they're a very talented group. Um, they're... At the beginning, or at the early stages of their journey, um, and uh, yeah, look, there's uh, there's definitely what what I like about them is uh, it's not just talent; it's talent mixed with uh, a real desire to, to get better and uh, um, a real uh, good work ethic. So yeah, look, I think uh, um, I, I don't see why why not. I think every every one of them. Got the um, got the ability. Uh, they've got the drive, um, and hopefully they've got a vehicle in the uh, the W side at Melbourne Victory to, to to help them on their on that journey. I have to ask you about the old girl, Lisa Devanna. Um, she really uh, she had an up and down season, but she really uh, turned it on when it mattered. Um, Semi final and final were, were great performances. Um, if you were Tony Gustafsson, um, would you still have her in the front of your mind when it comes to Olympic Games? You look at um, Lisa, her performance against Sydney FC in the, the Premier Plate decider and, and the two finals just kind of showed what a big match player she is. Um, she she really affected the game and really pulled the game um, towards us in, in all of those games. Um, even the even the game we lost up in Sydney, she was uh, she played with such uh, uh, intensity and, uh, and and drive, and she she really drove the rest of the team on. And yeah, look, I I think uh, I've kind of said it before. The least I think he should be doing is, is having a look at her because um, she's in she's in great form. She's 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 fit. She's uh, she's healthy. She's and she's uh, as as quick and dynamic as she's ever been, and uh, I think, yeah, for, for me, I think uh, I'd definitely be looking at her and, and Kyra um, if, if uh, the opportunity arises to get them into a camp sooner rather than later. Uh, you had your presentation uh, during the week, and uh, Kayla Morrison, um, the American import who uh, is soon to be an Australian, so maybe you'd put a. Th- She's your player of the year for uh, this season. Had a wonderful, wonderful season. Really did uh, such a, a, a great amount of work at, at the back of uh, your your defence, holding it up. Um, would you throw her name into the mix if she become an Aussie? I definitely would. Yeah, um, she's um, she's been amazing this year. Her uh, her ability to defend one on one. She's uh, she's an aggressive. Uh, tough tackling player, very very good in the air, um, attacks the ball really well in the air, but very very composed and uh, technically 
technically good. Run with the ball out defensive. She's got, I think, a lot of the attributes you're looking for from uh, for an international player. And uh, I think that this is her first season at, at this level. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, she's she's going to get better and better as well. Uh, again, got an amazing work ethic and just wants to listen and wants to get better. So, um, again, I'm not saying yes, she's going to go and play, but I think she's definitely one that. We should be having a look at for sure because we uh, we we need we need the depth of, uh, of talent and we need it we need everyone that we can to uh, to, to push our Matildas forward for um, 2023. We certainly do, Jeff. From all of us at Box to Box, congratulations! You've um, for those of us close to the game, you've really done some hard yards in uh, in development. You've uh, got a group of young Victorians, the cream of the crop of the Victorian football. Uh, women's football and you've uh, you've turned them into Premier's Plate and Championship winning team. It's a credit to you and uh, your service to women's football uh, should be recognised. Congratulations, Jeff. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. And I echo that as well, Jeff Hopkins. Thanks so much for your time, Jeff. We'll look forward to talking to you next time, mate. Cheers, guys. All right, Jeff Hopkins, uh, very proud man and justifiably so, Michael. I know you, we all know that you're very closely connected to all that and uh, we uh, uh, we obviously acknowledge as a national program that Sydney FC are the premiers uh, in the W League and did an amazing job, but uh, uh, but uh, to, to win that grand final away from home under the circumstances was uh, was quite an incredible feat. Yeah, absolutely. And Ante's doing an equally a great job up there with mm. uh, his group of young New South Wales players as well. Mm. Yeah, exactly. All right, before we go to the break, I want to talk to you about Storage King. Um, as I always do, is your humming running out of space? Are you decluttering, moving, renovating, downsizing or creating a home office? Storage King, they have the answer. With stores everywhere, there's a location just around the corner. They've got a team of storage professionals who can help you organise it all. If you need to know what size space you need, they'll help you with that. If you need boxes and packing materials, they'll help you with that. All very affordable. Storage King, they are the kings of storage, moving and more. Watch out for Space Invaders every Saturday night as well. It's a great show, all about decluttering. Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. Storageking.com.au for your nearest store. Okay, stick around. After the break, we go to talk to Dominic Bossy from the Sydney Morning Herald. This big, big story during the week about the uh, um, the potential or the possibility of the Central Coast Mariners being bought by Manchester United and relocating. That is all after the break on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this, could be the yes, this is Box to Box on 9 Radio, NTS News Talk Sport. Usually at this part of the show we're analysing the A-League season, the games coming up, the games we've just watched, but uh, there has been no bigger story in recent times in the A-League, and I count all the stories that we've read uh, than uh, the one that Dominic Bossy broke in the Sydney Morning Herald uh, a couple of days ago about Manchester United uh, uh, seriously looking at the Central Coast Mariners, and we welcome Dominic back to the show. Uh, Dominic, uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on. Mate, uh, so this story is uh, is huge. If, if it comes uh, uh, together, oh, we've seen City, of course, um, take over the then Melbourne Heart and uh, and the Premier League uh, clubs getting involved in, in the A-League. But uh, the um, the story you've broken, just, I mean, insofar as, uh, you know, sources are confidential, etc. Um can you give us a bit of an insight into when you first started to get a bit of a, a sniff that this story was um, was legit? As you said, my sources are confidential. It's not something I'm really comfortable discussing, to be honest. But um, look, safe to say, in the in the days leading up to when it was published, 
Mm, the days leading up to when it was published so it's it's something that's only in in the, the latter stages uh, so uh, we uh, obviously know that uh, it's something that's being seriously discussed now and uh, and your colleague Vince Rigari wrote a follow-up on, on, on the story so um, if you were to to put uh, you know some uh, sort of uh, percentage of expectation on on it, on it happening uh, do you feel that confident that I mean we know there's also a Gold Coast bid as well uh, what's your expectation about um, about how far um, how advanced this is. Look, it's probably not the answer you want to hear, but I, because I'm not privy to the conversations that are taking place, they are private by nature. I don't. I can only you know throw, throw a dart at a board and guess the percentage chances of it happening. Um, so you know, I, I think with all these things, when you when you hear a name as big as Manchester United and the club, uh, with no disrespect, you know, comparatively as small as Central Coast Mariners, I think you're always going to be shocked and you're going to be um, somewhat he- hesitant to expect it from coming to fruition. Uh, that, that's just the nature of anything, well, nature of these sort of stories. But you know, there is there have been serious uh, discussions, as you said. Now, whether or not they eventuate to a deal, that's uh, purely between Manchester United and Central Coast Mariners. Dominic, as you laid out in your piece, the key reason why Man United, uh, a club of that size, would be interested in the Mariners is, of course, the revenue streams that it could set up and bring, like uh, Manchester City have done with clubs around the world. Let's say, theoretically, that it, it did happen and it took off. They, they bought the Mariners, they moved them to, say, North Sydney, put them in a, a red and black kit and uh, Brookvale Oval uh, boomed. What sort of impact would that actually have for Manchester United, would that would that actually be more than a drop in the ocean for for Man U, or would they have to replicate it with a few clubs uh, across the world like Man City have? Look, I think let's just take away Man United and Central Coast Mariners and look at it as the process that's happened sort of all around the world. You know, we've seen it with Ajax in Cape Town, we've seen it with Chivas in uh, in America, and of course here with them and City Football Group have expanded everywhere. I think with any of these takeovers, what needs to happen? is that you have to give local fans a reason to accept what effectively is a complete franchi- uh, franchise model of, of the local brand. Um, so and what, what needs to happen then? I think you need to see considerable investment. I think just moving a club from one stadium to another probably doesn't quite suffice. I think you need to give the public something, and that needs to be a stadium. That needs to be infrastructure. If any big club comes into Australia again, I think it can only be with a caveat that it comes with something as big as a stadium and probably even big name signings, because otherwise we're going to be I mean, we're going to be foregoing you know local brands, some of them historic brands in any sport, and that needs to be the trade-off. That's the price they pay. And one of the more interesting, that's just, and that's my point of view. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and one of the other little important, oh, sorry, interesting things that sort of popped up was that James Johnson gave a, a little indication that he feels uh, Man U or a big club's involvement in the league would be exciting. I believe he was at a press conference for for something else for the Commonwealth Bank announcement. So maybe he got caught off guard, and we shouldn't read too much into what might have been a throwaway line. Did you and and should we read anything into that? Well, I mean, he, he was asked quite clearly by my colleague Vince Regari what he thought, and. Um and as, as his comments were, he, he was excited by the prospect of it. So, yeah, I, I think you have, you have to kind of take that, that as, as it is. It's, um, you, you, yeah, so you often see in these situations if people want to distance themselves from something or not. And uh, look, he's, he's one who is hopeful that, that maybe you know, something can happen, given what he said to my colleague Vince. 
This is Box to Box. I'm talking to Dominic Bossi from the Sydney Morning Herald about the story he broke uh, this week around uh, the, um, the potential, the likelihood, the possibility of uh, Manchester United buying the Central Coast Mariners. And uh, just on that point, and you know, I read um, the article of Vince's uh, where that quote um, was published, and, and and I just sort of felt a bit uncomfortable as, as someone who's got a a, a real um, a personal uh, view that the Central Coast Mariners uh, are an important part of the A league and and very very important to to the local area ray gatt's a friend of ours we've known him for, for many years he's been on the show many many times he wrote an article in the guardian um uh, on the very subject uh, I, I just felt that there was a degree of disrespect for the the fans of the central coast mariners in in the casual way that um that 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 answer was was uh, was um was was delivered fair enough yeah uh look at you know that i guess there are a lot of people who do feel passionately about Central Coast. There are a lot of people who do, you know, support the the club remaining on the coast. Uh, I think, you know, maybe just stepping away from people's comments, but you know, Gosford has been a very problematic region for for investment. They've, the Mariners have been on the market for a very long time and have struggled to find the right buyer, and, and they've done an amazing job at building something around the club. If you look at the fact they were the first club in the A-League to actually have a centre of excellence, you know, and uh, under the previous ownership uh, run by Peter Turnbull, the, you know, that was actually affiliated with the club. Now, that property has gone under, you know, is now privately owned by Mike Charlesworth. But that's an, an incredible vision that the Mariners laid out for their region. And I think there are a lot of people that are proud of the Mariners. But in recent years, with this season aside, there's been little to celebrate about the club in Gosford. It's a very difficult market. It's, it's a small population spread over a huge area. Mm. It's a, so that makes it very difficult. There, there isn't much daily media, which you kind of need for a club to survive. Uh, and if you look at, compared to any other market in Australia, it just lacks the infrastructure, the transport, and the industry that makes it really attractive to foreign investment. And Dom, just a final one from me. I'm not sure if this is actually sort of within within your remit, if you know about this sort of stuff, but I'd like to, yeah, sort of know if you know sort of what's going on um, behind the scenes in regards to, so a move like this, a change of licence needs to be now ticked off by the APL clubs and as a result, vested interest comes into this. For example, we're hearing that Sydney FC would reportedly, reportedly back a Gold Coast bid, but not the North Sydney move as that might bring them into what they consider their catchment area. Would the clubs such as Sydney and Western Sydney and MacArthur be in contact with Mike Charlesworth during these talks, would they be in his ear uh, while he's making a call on a sale or, or do they stand abreast and then later come in and, and tick it off, yes or no? Oh, look, I think it's possible that they can. I'm sure look, the owners all talk. They're all part of the one legal body now, uh, the, the APL. So I'm sure that the owners do talk a lot to each other. But uh, at the end of the day, it's Mike Charlesworth, his licence to sell. Um, now, in terms of a relocation, I think that's when the border league will come in. If he wants to sell to a consortium, let's say, you know, if it was Manchester United, if he does sell to them, then, you know, yes, that has to be ratified. But I think then a separate discussion happens about possible relocation. And that's one that I think should involve the rest of the league because it does have impacts on, on, on other markets. Um, you know, that's, I think that's pretty fair. And then it does it does get signed off by Football Australia. 
Well, Dom, you broke the story. It's uh, the cat is officially out of the bag now, mate. Um, so uh, it's all going to be played out in public from here on. We'll uh, be watching as closely as anybody will be, um, and uh, you know we'll certainly arguing the case, or at least presenting the case is a better way to describe it uh, for the the Central Coast uh, fans who, who listen to this show and read your copy and uh, are interested in football because uh, you know it's the only major uh, sporting code that is represented in that um, that you know vast area that the Central Coast is. Uh, um, um, and um, and those fa- fans who are passionate of for the club are as passionate as any other club. So um, so we won't be um, sort of uh, just looking the other way and uh, and and uh, uh, seeing this thing sail through um, without um, the right questions being asked, mate. So uh, Dom, thank you very much for for joining us. We're we're always grateful for your time, mate. Pleasure. Thank you. Dominic Bossy from the Sydney Morning Herald. Okay, stick around. That was a busy hour on Box to Box. So far, we've got a. Another busy, uh, busy hour coming up with Dermot Corrigan from The Athletic. We're talking to Richard Barnes from Optus Sports and uh, a stack more to come on uh, Europe and Champions League and all those uh, other international stories related to the world game. That's all after the news on box to box Now, this is box to box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For, for Chemist, Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage moving and Welcome back to Box to Box, uh, second edition news with Willem van Dender and shortly it's going to be a busy second hour. Dino's going to join us for news, we're going to chat a, a bit with him. Uh, then Dermot Corrigan from The Athletic, we haven't talked to Dermot before, he uh, is the leading English language writer on La Liga and what a time it is to be talking to somebody about La Liga with only eight weeks to go. El Clasico was on the weekend and uh, Real Madrid uh, are, uh, are powering into the Champions League semi-finals so that will be a great chat with Dermot. Then Richard Bayless, the director of Sport at Optus Sports. We're going to talk to Richard about those Champions League games and everything else that's going on in Europe with uh, Derek away for the week. And stoppage time. We're going to uh, reflect on the departure, the demise uh, of the uh, the World Game brand uh, from SBS announced only in the last 24 hours, broken by Vince Rigari in the Sunday Morning Herald, that uh, SBS will no longer be uh, uh, hosting uh, football on their digital sites uh, under the World Game uh, banner. But uh, we'll talk about that in stoppage time. But Willem, you got heaps more? I do, Rob. Socceroos and Matilda Central for the Green and Gold Army to start. The Matildas are back and it's inside 50 days until the Socceroos will do the same. So make sure you're on the Green and Gold Army mailing list for info on all overseas tours. Sign up at ggatravel.com.au. No Matildas were in Clubland this week, which was nice because they were playing in the Green and Gold and the Aquamarine Blue as well, which I thought looked lovely. The brightest news of the week for the Gents continues to be... Mitch Langerak. He and the Nagoya defence have kept another two clean sheets in the past seven days, taking them up to nine on the trot, which is a J-League record. Not such good news for Massimo Luongo. He's looking increasingly unlikely to feature for Sheffield Wednesday at all this season, having only just returned to light training after two months out injured. He may be looking for a new club if that is the case with Wednesday. Seven points short of survival at this point. And Michael, you'd have to say he's appearing uh, an outside chance. Those odds are lengthening that he'll be part of the Australian setup in June, unfortunately. You would say so, wouldn't you based on uh, all that's transpired, Will. Riley McGrew followed up his return appearance for Birmingham City with another 45 off the bench in a win over Harry Sutar's Stoke. While over in Scotland, Tom Rogic came off the bench in a 6-0 win for Celtic. Around the continent, more silverware looks on the cards for Al Mabil, who enjoyed a 4-1 win with Michelin in the championship round of the Danish Superliga. And as is beige, Jimmy Jago and Milos Degenek are three critical Socceroos come the middle of the year or continue to feature regularly. We've got, as Rob mentioned, two guests in the second hour of the show, which means the 
the European segment is having a bit of a breather, but there's still plenty of Champions League action to review. And to do so, we welcome Dean Hennessy. How are you, Dean? Very good. Uh, thanks, Willem. That's good to hear, Dean. Uh, Manchester City, they've reached the Champions League semi-finals for just the second time in their history, having knocked out Borussia Dortmund with a comfort-behind win in the second leg. City pulled back Dortmund's early goal through Riyad Mahrez from the penalty spot before going ahead late via Phil Foden. Now here's Foden, who lets fly yes. and scores! And that will do it for Manchester City. It is their young crown prince. Philip Foden. City have been drawn against PSG in the semi-finals, having last reached this stage under Manuel Pellegrini in 2015-16. Now, Dino, I wanted to have a chat about Phil Foden. He is, as we know, an academy player who's come through an otherwise almost totally uh, a buying club, and it was a, a delicate operation to make sure that they massaged him through uh, the ranks and into the senior side. We, we saw him play those sort of League Cup finals earlier on, increasing minutes. He's been part of the first team for a while now. This sort of seems like the culmination of, of job well done that he's now scored in both legs and he's, he's sent them through to the Champions League semi-finals. Yeah, look, without doubt, he was always a talent and I think uh, Pep Guardiola did an unbelievable job and, and his staff and also the players and supporting him uh, on his journey and, you know, he's, he's a, a resident now in the England team as well so I, I, I can't see him dropping out the England team for quite a long time. Uh, but on the flip side of that, I was quite in... Uh, I was quite impressed with Jude Bellingham as well. You know, he scored the goal. And I think he's the youngest player to ever score a goal uh, in, in in a Champions League and also in the Bundesliga. So, uh, so, so there's some really good talent from from an English point of view. But uh, what a cracking uh, what a cracking tie that was. Um, and I think Man City definitely deserved to, to go through. Just up the road, Dean, Liverpool have bowed out of the Champions League following a nil-all draw with Real Madrid at Anfield, in which they spurned a number of first-half opportunities. Madrid took a 3-1 first-leg victory into the match and progressed relatively comfortably in the end and now await Chelsea in the semis. Dean, they're now out of the Champions League, which was their main objective, as well as out of the reckoning in the Premier League, which has been the case for some time. If you were Jurgen Klopp, how would you spend the rest of the season to make sure that you could make it as productive as possible? We've seen Liverpool in the last three years. Uh, they're not going to put the, uh, the queue in the rack. They're going to try and fight their way and win as many games if they can to still think, believe that they can get something possibly in the Champions League, but more likely, hopefully, if it's not the Europa League. So... I think that's something that um, you know that they won't put the queue in the rat. They'll have something to play for, and and I think they'll try and play the strongest team. And the last two winners of the Champions League in Liverpool and Bayern Munich are now out. Uh, Madrid are of course still there, but PSG and Man City will surely see it as now or never. Dino, can either of them do it? PSG look really good, and if there was one team that could maybe undo them, it could be Manchester City. Um, so, yeah, look, I think it's going to be a fabulous tie, uh, PSG, Man City. And a couple of the teams who have progressed in the Champions League will also be playing in the FA Cup semis this weekend, Chelsea and Manchester City. What are we forecasting there quickly? My prediction is oh, Chelsea and Man City. I, I think City, because I think they're decent in the Cups. And then you've got Leicester and Southampton. Now, you would go Leicester, but 
they are on a bit of a banana skin from time to time, but I think they'll be just good enough to get to the uh, the FA Cup final. Moving on, Slavia Prague's Andre Kudela has been banned for 10 matches for racially abusing Rangers midfielder Glenn Kamara in their Europa League clash last month. Kamara's lawyer has bemoaned the sentence as the barest minimum penalty, which he uh, says makes a mockery of UEFA's anti-racism stance. Kamara himself was banned for three matches, having assaulted Kudela in the tunnel post-match, while his teammate Kimar Roof will miss four games after a challenge left an opponent with a fractured skull. Rangers have been fined €9,000 for failure to control their players and while happy with the findings in favour of Kamara, intend to challenge the others. Rob, uh, you've got the club, Rangers, happy with the decision because it shows that it's justified Kamara's complaints, but you've also got his lawyer and his side of things saying that that is the minimum from UEFA. Any player who uh, reacts as severely as as the players that we've seen react lately have to be listened to and taken seriously. Um, I I noticed the only this morning that uh, Clarence Seedorf, uh, the uh, you know the Dutch uh, legend, came out and said that any player who covers their mouth while talking to an opponent or a referee should immediately be uh, sanctioned, sent off, red card, and uh, and then held to account. It seems to be the modus operandi of of these types of players who uh, who don't want their ma- their words lip read. And uh, and wh- why are these players who are on the receiving end of these types of uh, um, conversations reacting the way they are are they are they just making it up as they're going along you know I, I just I don't believe it I mean uh, unfortunately uh, um, we've seen uh, from the usual suspects sadly the, the countries that are uh, um, commonly involved in this sort of situation uh, uh, their players are the ones that are, uh, are generally the uh, aggressors or the alleged aggressors so uh, so I take Seedorf's point of view here and come down as harshly as possible on them uh, in, in some way you've got, you, you, you can you can Shut the spectators down on social media and ban them from the stands. This is the way to shut down the players. Back to the north of England, Manchester United have changed the seat coverings at Old Trafford from red to black in a bid to improve their 54% win record at home this season. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer explained players were struggling to pick out teammates in red shirts against the red background and red seats. During their most recent match, United unveiled their Sea Red anti-racism campaign, which included black covers. They beat Brighton for the record 2-1. So we'll see if that has... Any form of impact over the, over the coming weeks? We will. It might have a psychological impact. I was listening to uh, the BBC Sport. They were suggesting that. So uh, they need to change their home form. They haven't lost a weight game all season. So uh, let's see how it works. Hey, Dino, uh, we'll get you back in stoppage time. Mate. We're going to talk about Lovely. the demise of uh, the the world came as a brand in this country. So uh, we'll talk to you in about half an hour, mate. Yeah, lovely. All right, boys, uh, who we are going to talk to after the break is Dermot Corrigan from The Athletic Live from Madrid. Uh, No one covers The Athletic from the English language point of view uh, better than Dermot Corrigan. I love reading his copy. Uh, He's all over it. Uh, We'll talk to him next on Box to Box. Box to Box. For Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this yes, this is Box to Box on Nine Radio NTS News Talk Sport. Now, any football fan in Australia uh, worth their credentials uh, keeps an eye on La Liga. We all remember Johnny Aloisi and uh, and the great times he had uh, performing in that uh, grandest of grand competitions. And uh, in recent times, we thought that uh, the uh, uh, ascendancy of the two mega clubs Real and Barca was about to be upturned but uh, uh, Atletico are not having it all their own way with uh, events of the last uh, uh, six or seven rounds turning things around and to talk about it on the show this week we welcome Dermot Corrigan from The Athletic. How are you Dermot? 
Yeah, pretty good. Nice to talk to you guys. Yeah, Dermot. Um, so we're talking to you from Madrid, and uh, um, you uh, you've written extensively in recent times, as well as over you know obviously uh, uh, longer periods of time. But on specifically the turnaround in form of Real and Barca, that uh, you know they just looked out of the race uh, at a certain point. Atletico looked like they were going to um, win for the first time in several years, but uh, uh, they've started to stumble, and the other teams have hit good form. Um, uh, the, the Clasico on the weekend was a genuine. And Classico, even though it was played uh, at the uh, De Stefano and um, and uh, and in front of no fans, uh, so the crescendo of La Liga uh, is going to be uh, an absolute nail biter. Yeah, it's um, it's true. A couple of months ago, we thought that it was all done and dusted. Atletico were ten points clear, um, had a game in hand on Barca as well, and uh, also just the feelings around the clubs. Um, everything at Atletico seemed to have clicked into place. Uh, they had. What, meanwhile, at Madrid and Barcelona, Barca were going through an awful time with the, the president having to resign. You know, coming off last summer when when Lionel Messi uh, wanted to leave the club and he did, wasn't playing so well in the first couple of months of the season, and Madrid were going through what tends to happen around Madrid through the autumn time of, of just being really inconsistent and and dropping points where you don't expect them to to drop the points. So Atletico were were far out in front, but since Christmas, really, or since the winter break, everything that that could go wrong has gone wrong at Atletico. You know, Kieran Trippier was banned by the English FA for a, an obscure enough betting offence. Uh, players started to to be sidelined through COVID. Some some key players w- were missing from that. Then they started to pick up a lot of injuries, uh, and suddenly their momentum just derailed completely. They got knocked out of Europe as well by by Chelsea. And meanwhile, Madrid and Barca have been flying. And in the Clasico, uh, Madrid uh, leapfrogged Atletico, but Atletico had the chance against Betis to uh, to, to establish uh, you know, a buffer again, but uh, but uh, but Betis are, uh, are trying to contend for Europe themselves, so they had plenty to play for. Uh, they could only eke out a draw, uh, uh, Atletico, and uh, so it, it's it's game on. For sure. like Atletico went to Betis at the weekend. They're missing Luis Suarez, who's been so important for, for them this season, and Marcus Llorente as well, who's been their second most important player going forward as well both of those were missing and Atletico didn't play that badly and a draw is not you know a draw at Betis who who are six in the table and are doing well under under Manuel Pellegrini is not a bad result but just the fact that they couldn't find a way to score a, score a goal at the end when they had a chance maybe to win the game um, counted against them but there's a good chance that, that all the other teams are going to drop points as well Madrid and Barca have been on great runs but Madrid and we saw last night in their, their Champions League game they can tough it out um, if they need to, but a lot of their senior players, their older players, are, are almost running on empty at the minute. And Barca are also so reliant on Messi that if Messi's going well, that you know they'll do well. But if something happens to him, they'll be in trouble. So I'd say there's there's more twists and turns likely to come before the end of the season. Letting out Madrid, tell us, um, are they have they hit the skids? Just for the fans around right around Australia who are, are connected yeah. sporadically to. Um, the La Liga. Uh, what has been the issue with uh, Atletico over uh, re- the recent weeks and um, uh, are they just going to be steamrolled by, by the big two? The big problem that they've had has been scoring goals. L- Luis Suarez through the autumn, you know, especially when he clicked in around November, December, was just playing really, really well and often their games would be tight enough but Suarez would come up with, with a bit of magic or a bit of, of guile or intelligence and find a way, whether it was you know a, a neat finish or, or winning a penalty or, or whatever it was. And they were finding what you know, they were coming through a lot of tight games due to his his excellence up front. Then he's you know he's 34 now. He's had a lot of injury issues as well, and he, he wasn't a, he wasn't the same player for the last couple of weeks. And now he's got injured as well. So that that's been the, their major problem. Um, Joe Felix as well was out with COVID. Um, he he's had injuries, you know. He picked up an injury as well at Betis at the weekend, so he hasn't really got going, and he's 
you know their their young playmaking star who who they were hoping would come through for them. So, but with both of those not not um, not firing really, that that's the biggest problem for Atletico at the moment. There's one particular player who you wrote a a, a, a wonderful article based around in, in recent times, and this is one of the things that those of us who subscribe to the Athletic really love about um, the articles that are written on the platform is that you really get a detailed deep dive into the story and and the player of course I'm referring to is Vinicius Junior he's 20 years old he came um, with incredible raps on him as a, an 18 year old but uh, uh, he he's uh, he's not uh, done what uh, was expected of him in the same way that Kylian Mbappe has risen to the occasion from Monaco then to PSG uh, as one particular example uh, but uh, in this past week with that um, that two goal performance against Liverpool to set up the tie and effectively win it against Liverpool and then uh, and then his uh, his efforts in um, in the Clasico uh, is this a turning point for him um, or is it uh, something that, that you've seen before, like a false dawn? Yeah, Vinicius is such a such a difficult player to to judge, really, to 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 work out whether he's he's going to be as good as the people around Madrid hope he will. Like Madrid president Florentino Perez spent a lot of money on Vinicius and has put a lot of effort into to kind of molding him, you know, off the pitch or the image of him as a coming superstar, as somebody who could uh, rival Mbappe or, or Haaland as one of the top strikers over the next decade. The reality hasn't always been been quite that good. Like he can he can look good. His approach work. You know he's super fast. He's good close control. He he's very difficult to stop when he gets going. But his decision making in the in the opposition penalty area or whether to shoot or cross or pass or just has often let him down. You know he did that wasn't the case against Madrid or against Liverpool in the first leg. You know the two goals he took. He didn't have that much time to even think about it. They were both kind of more instinctive finishes, which which maybe suited him. And talking to the people around the club and the people who know Vinicius well, you know they they were trying not to get too carried away. They they realised that you know he's still a work in progress. That Zidane and especially Zidane and Benzema as well. That that they're trying to he's still learning the game a little bit. You know maybe Mbappe and and Haaland have kind of arrived on the scene almost almost fully formed as guys who who are ready to to be decisive in games and to lead their teams. Vinicius is not quite at that level yet. They're still confident that he will be. That he is. He's a he's a clever guy. He's picking up um, experience. He's picking up kind of tools of the trade from from Zidane and Benzema. You know, it's still early to say whether he's going to really reach the top. But you know, the last couple of weeks he has shown that he's he's heading in the right direction. And, and to reflect on another point you make um, as to uh, whether his teammates think he's heading in the right direction. I mean, there's that incident uh, during the Champions League uh, uh, match uh, at Borussia Mönchengladbach in October where Karim Benzema was overheard in the tunnel saying he does what he wants uh, to uh, to Madrid's left-back for Land Mendy and, uh, and, uh, and says, don't pass it to him, brother, he's playing against us. And, and he, everyone denies that it was directed towards Vinicius Jr. But uh, the evidence of the next half uh, proved that, um, that they clearly were talking about him, I mean, this kind of petulance in in a in a um, an elite sporting organisation uh, from a senior World Cup winning player like Benzema. Uh, I mean, is that the sort of environment that a young man uh, like Vinicius Junior? And we do know. I mean, we look at uh, at so many uh, Brazilians over time; they come with massive egos as well as massive paychecks. Uh, is that the sort of thing that's going to help him uh, get to uh, the best that he can be? Interesting talking to to somebody who knows Vinicius very well about that because you know when when they asked about it in public they're all denying that that Benzema was talking about Vinicius they just kind of brush it away or try try to to hide what happened but but the guys around Vinicius say that the Vinicius himself he they know it was him and they know that these things can happen in a game that 
you know, people can get frustrated. Madrid were, were losing a game that they didn't expect to lose. That things weren't going well around the, the club at that time as well. It just wasn't a wasn't a good moment. And you know, the same as sometimes you know you can have a, a row between teammates at, at training, or a player won't be happy getting substituted by a coach. They, they were. That's the kind of attitude that Vinicius took to it. That it's just something that that happened in the game, but but he accepted it and moved on. And Vinicius, like Benzema, has been very good to to Vinicius. He does. Vinicius is a super frustrating teammate, I'm sure, because he has sometimes it, it looks like he's going to set you up for a for a handy goal, or it looks like he's going to score a wonder goal himself, and then the end product doesn't doesn't match up to it. But Benzema, as the senior, the leader of Madrid's attack, has put a lot of work into into helping Vinicius. You can often see him during games as well. He'll have his arm around him. He'll be kind of pointing where he wants the ball the next time. And yeah, it can't have been easy for Vinicius to to overhear that or to see the the video and to know that everybody was talking about him. But from as far as we can make out, and again, you're just going on, on on what you're told. But as far as we can make out, he's accepted it, and he's a kind of serious guy. Vinicius, he does look a little bit flash. Maybe he's got the watch and the the earring and the the marketing contracts and everything. But he he is somebody who who does want to put in a lot of work and does just kind of realize maybe he's even a little bit more humble than than expected, or maybe it's his confidence isn't always as high, you know, when he's out on the pitch, that, that's what goes wrong sometimes. Mm. But but I took it as a as a positive that he, you know, he was willing to to take it on board and to, he knows that he has stuff to improve on and that's what he's trying to do. And before we let you go, Dermot, um, the, the season of Real, as we continue to talk about that club, uh, uh, it, it can go from what looked to be the worst of seasons to, to almost a, a Champions League and La Liga uh, title double, uh, the way they performed against Liverpool to, to shut out uh, the Reds, um, who you know haven't been in the best of form, as we all know, but they are starting to come back to something of it and uh, you know to, clo- to close... Uh, uh, up shop and and hold out the Reds on their own home deck, albeit without fans, um, was a was a masterclass in defending. Yeah, and Madrid so typical of them really to um, to have that to have, look shambles at times. Like they were beaten twice by Shakhtar Donetsk in the in the Champions League group stages. At one stage, you know, we were kind of making jokes that they could end up in the Europa League. Imagine, <laughs> you know, imagine what that would be like for for a club because Madrid are so proud of themselves. They have this this image of themselves as as the kings of Europe, as the, the best team around. But in fairness to Zidane, especially, you know, he does know how to to get them focused and how when the the really important games come around to get them mentally right. Physically, they have a lot of problems. You know, there's a lot of players injured at the minute still. More players out with COVID at, at the moment. You know, Sergio Ramos has hardly played over the last three or four months. But, you know, when the games come around, as you say, like against Liverpool in the first leg, big players stood up. Modric, Cruz, Casemiro, Benzema, Courtois in goals, Nacho as well, you know, coming through at the back. And they have these big personalities who've been there before who, who know what's required to, to win these games that sometimes it's not. Like last night in the second leg, it wasn't about, you know, going chasing a, an away goal or leaving space for Liverpool to, to come into. So even though they have a lot of, of talented guys in the squad and a lot of big egos are, are in the squad, they, the most important thing to them is to win these big games. And at the moment, they're doing well. You know, against Chelsea from here, it looks like a 50-50 in the semi-final. I, I don't know if I'd make Madrid really big favourites yet because of all those physical issues that they have and because maybe their their key players are, are getting on a little bit and have been through a lot this season. But, you know, I wouldn't bet against them, you know, mentally. They're, they're as tough as anybody around. Hey, Dermot, it's been fantastic having you on the show. We're really grateful for your time and, um, and we uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again next time about La Liga. Really enjoyed it, Rob. Talk, talk to you soon again. Hope Thanks, mate. Thank you. Dermot Corrigan from The Athletic. All right, stick around. We're going to talk more Europe, more Champions League with Richard Bayless, the director of sport at Optus Sports, next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it?
Chat for Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the yes, this is Box to Box on 9 Radio NTS News Talk Sport. And uh, we've all been uh, just... Enjoy this feast of sport. I guess we get used to now watching uh, games without fans. But um, yeah, the uh, the Champions League over the past uh, fortnight has been uh, quite incredible, and the the crescendo to so many of the big uh, tournaments around the world as we look forward to the Euros uh, has been great as well. Uh, we just talked to Dermot Corrigan about La Liga. Uh, Richard Bayless, the director of sport at Optus Sports, is now on the line to talk Champions League and Premier League. How are you, Richard? Yeah, I'm not too bad. A little bit uh, tired, worse for wear after a couple of. Champions League days, but uh, hey, I don't want to complain because it's been good fun, like you said. Yeah, it absolutely has been, mate. You get the box seat um, when when you watch those games, and to you know, um, for for us at home to be able to watch the the Optus Sports coverage uh, is is a real treat because uh, you know we we get to to watch the uh, the matches either in real time or on delay. You can sleep in a little bit um, and uh, and watch the games, and it's designed for you to not have spoilers. But uh, I mean, it's it's hard to to say uh, where the highlight were and where it all started because there were, were so many of them but uh, um, just give us your analysis of 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 the the two leg ties uh, that, that we've been watching well I think Bayern Munich and PSG is arguably one of the best two-legged ties we've seen certainly in the past couple of seasons I mean back in 2018-19 was arguably the best Champions League knockout stage we've ever seen sort of Man City and Tottenham in particular and then Tottenham Ajax and Liverpool Barcelona that was nuts. But I think in terms of the quality, Bayern Munich and PSG certainly have to be up there with that. The second leg, we didn't necessarily get the goals, but that was purely because PSG were just so wasteful. You know, Neymar and Mbappe were phenomenal and a 1-0 defeat to Bayern was enough to see the Prisians through. And I think, you know, when you look at the matchup against Manchester City, all of a sudden you have to think they'll be seriously difficult to stop PSG if Kylian Mbappe and Neymar are given the space on the counter like they were against uh, Bayern Munich. Uh, Bayern Munich can consider themselves a little bit hard done by. Some injuries sort of saw them drop out, but they played some great football, and that tie in particular uh, was just phenomenal. And, uh, yeah, semi-final matchup with Man City, who were ultimately too good for Borussia Dortmund, but not by a great deal. You know, City had to be at their best just about and had Phil Foden playing uh, to his full potential to get through against a very good young Dortmund side. And on the other side of the draw, Liverpool and Chelsea, uh, not the matchup we thought we'd get the replay of that uh, famous matchup from way back when. It's going to be Real Madrid and Chelsea, two sides that are probably a little bit more tactical in the way they approach it, but no less dangerous. And both Thomas Tuchel and Zinedine Zidane, you would think, will have eyes on lifting this trophy for the first time for Tuchel and once again for Zidane. And uh, to put the spotlight on to, to PSG, so you know, all of this money has been spent on putting together this incredible club. Uh, questions asked of players like uh, Mbappe and Neymar and why they would be playing in Ligue 1. Uh, why aren't they playing in one of the, 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 the bigger competitions? Uh, and uh, and it all goes down to uh, the, the Holy Grail, doesn't it really? Maurizio Pochettino as well uh, uh, as manager. He's been um, you know sitting on the, on the bench for uh, uh, a couple of seasons now, since he was um, sacked by uh, uh, Spurs, but uh, the uh, expectation is that um, that they will uh, um, that they will bring home the uh, the trophy. Uh, but um, 
to, to watch them dismantle uh, Bayern the way they did, and uh, dismantle is probably a harsh word, but but it was a clinical exhibition to see players like Neymar in particular at his professional best, when we've all seen him at his worst, to see him at his professional and clinical best was a, an enjoyable sight from a football purist point of view. Yeah, and it has been a little bit frustrating at times with Neymar. I mean, he's 29. It feels like, I guess on one sense it feels like he's been around forever, but in the other, it's unfulfilled potential, isn't mm. it? That frustration mm. that comes with particularly on the big stage, seeing him, you know, not necessarily always perform and sort of be in the headlines for the wrong reasons, maybe for simulation and some of the antics he gets up to off the ball. But this was pure Neymar in the Mm. second leg. He was unbelievable. And in a way, Mbappe was in his shadow, which hasn't been the case the past few years. You know, you do raise an interesting point in terms of why are they playing in France? Because Ligue 1 has not been the challenge it might be elsewhere. The irony being that uh, this season they actually might not win the league yeah. because Lille are there as well. But if they go and win the Champions League, it will absolutely make up for it. Something that Mbappe hasn't done. Neymar has done with Barcelona. Pochettino, like you say, uh, yet, yet to do it as well. And for both those sides on that side of the draw, Manchester City and PSG, what about the expectation from their fans on finally breaking that drought? And, you know, we'll see some desperation, you would think, over the two legs of the, the semi final. But Maybe if they win at PSG, maybe you see, you know, Neymar and Mbappe seriously think about moving on. The word is that they're happy in Paris and they want to play together and continue there. And whether or not they can bring some other players along, I think ultimately it will just depend on what you mentioned at the top, which is money. That's what they've got plenty of at PSG. It's enough to convince players of that caliber to go there. And they've got a good squad. It's not just about those two up top. With Verratti back in midfield, if he's fit, he's a phenomenal player. And defensively against Bayern Munich, that was seriously impressive too. So you certainly have to take him seriously. Richard, Mbappe is one of my favourite players, but there's just part of me that says you'd love to see him uh, in the Premier League where there's a hot game every game because in the French League 1, he gets soft games, you know, for for two of the – for every – Second or third game they play, it's a soft game. So you just wonder how he would go where he's, you know, well and truly under the pump week in, week out. I think he would do very, very well. But what's your reflections on that? Yeah, I do agree, Michael. I think you could probably say that about quite a few of, you know, that top echelon of players. Obviously, we saw Ronaldo there for Manchester United. We never saw and probably will never see Leo Messi uh, in that league. Neymar's a similar one. I think there is... There is something to be said about the players that only play on the continent. I mean, Ronaldo, the original Ronaldo was another one, Zinedine yep. Zidane. You know, it, I personally like this discussion point around, oh, if only they were in the Premier League, because what you don't know sometimes is more exciting than what you do know. But I think, you know, you imply the speed of killing Mbappe and the absolute skill, the, the daring, you know, his utter confidence on the ball. I think he would be a phenomenon in any league that he played in. And actually, the speed of the Premier League would probably see him tear it up because in uh, France, what often happens is, and this is one of the reasons why PSG is sometimes better on the European stage, what often happens is teams sit back and they just you know, soak up the pressure from PSG and there's actually less space afforded to Neymar and Mbappe and they get more frustrated because they don't have the space and time to, to play. Whereas in the Premier League, you think both of those guys would actually tear it up a little bit more because so many teams play on the front foot. And that's why... The matchup with Manchester City is so fascinating because there's every chance they just go and beat City despite the fact City's squad and form is so good. So, yeah, it's one of those what-ifs. Let's hope one day Mbappe goes there because he's only 22 and if he lifts the the Champions League after lifting the World Cup trophy in 2018, 
you know, he'll probably be thinking about what else he can actually do in his career and England will probably be on the horizon. And Richard, before we move on to the Premier League, you've already touched on, you know, the PSG could just go to City and win, but uh, City, you know, they were pretty impressive against Dortmund. Phil Foden is uh, um, stepping up to, uh, you know, almost the the um, the level where he's, he's keeping Raheem Sterling on the bench through sheer ability. Uh, what's your prediction in that time? It's going to be very hard to predict that one because it could be just about everything. City, arguably the most impressive thing about their win over Dortmund was the fact that they had to grind it out and find a way because at one stage for about half an hour this morning in the second tie, they were down, they were out and they were facing elimination once again at the quarterfinal stage but they, they dug in and they found a way. You mentioned Foden, he's been such a great player over the past couple of years and it feels like he's almost getting to that point where he is a an out-and-out starter. Raheem Sterling is not the Raheem Sterling we're used to seeing. Well, maybe that's one of the very few um, kind of negatives, I suppose, on their form at the moment. But with the depth they've got and the ability to rotate without a striker as well, you know, Pep Guardiola could name just about any 11 and you would think they would have the weapons to take on and beat a PSG. But as to whether or not they do, I honestly think it's a, it's a toss of a coin, isn't it? I mean, so much will come down to, you know, the defences of the two, how they nullify the pressure applied by such great attacking players and what they can do at the other end, perhaps on the counter-attack, utilising the space in behind to get what will be probably uh, a crucial goal or two. There won't be too much in it, but it could still be high scoring. It could be literally anything. And uh, we, we talked to Dermot Corrigan from The Athletic before uh, about La Liga and the, the, the return to uh, um, something resembling very close to their best of Real Madrid. But that um, that tie is going to be a cracker as well when we, we see Real uh, uh, go up against um, you know the, the might of, uh, of the, uh, uh, the Chelsea team under Thomas Tuchel, uh, who have just, he has just turned everything around at, uh, at Stamford Bridge. Yeah, this is a really fascinating one because this absolutely will be tight. I mean, from Real Madrid's perspective, they were thoroughly professional in the second leg against Liverpool, but they're starting to really fight with one hand side behind their back. They got players out. They had only one of their first choice back four in the second leg against Liverpool. The experience of their midfield will probably tell out in the end if they are to get through. Casemiro, Cruz and Modric are phenomenal and Benzema up top is an absolute superstar. Perhaps one of the more underrated on the global stage, despite the fact that he's been at Real Madrid for over 10 years as their talisman and number nine. So look, they've got the players to still do it. Whether or not they have the depth and the fitness and they can fight the fatigue of what is a massive season both in Europe and Spain is probably another matter. And Chelsea with their depth just starting to hit their stride as well. Good win against Crystal Palace where they were really attacking, played good football and they did the job against Porto. I reckon you'd be feeling pretty good about life if you're a Blues fan right now. Now, Leeds fans are saying that the only reason Manchester City did uh, okay in the Champions League is because they gave them a needle uh, <laughs> last weekend. And this is a bit of a Dorothy Dixer for you, but uh, it was a fascinating game to watch. And every now and again, you just turn on a game. And uh, I wanted to watch the Matildas, and I thought, oh, this game's perfect timing in the lead-up to the Matildas. And I was just enthralled by every kick and every moment. Leeds were obviously an early goal and then a red card. And you thought, oh, my God, how many goals can Manchester City score? And they hung on and they hung on. And then there's nothing like against the run of play through the goalkeeper's legs to give yourself a famous 2-1 win. You must have been fist-pumping in the studio. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll get to that moment uh, in a moment. But what is interesting is that Manchester City, in beating Borussia Dortmund this morning, are the first team in 11 
to have played against Leeds and then not lost or drawn the next game. So Man City <laughs> won after facing oh, Leeds, wow. where the last 10 teams to play Leeds have not won the next game. And what that tells you is that playing against Leeds is a really unique challenge. You know, whether or not you beat them, the reality is that you need to go to great lengths in terms of physicality and output you know, so much more running and a different type of football match as well. And if you get sucked into it, it does turn into a really unique match. And that's certainly what that was at the weekend. I mean, Man City had, uh, what, 71% of possession. They had 29 opportunities. It seemed like it was a matter of time, particularly with 10 men. But what Marcelo Bielsa had done in sort of setting up this man-for-man system, he had pretty much prepared his team for that exact scenario, even though they didn't know it. And by leaving two... Uh, high, wide wingers who with plenty of space in, and pace as well in Costa and Rafinha, they were always a chance, even though me as a supporter of Leeds, sitting there absolutely counting down the clock, just saying, just blow the whistle. I'm happy with the 1-1. It'll, it's more than enough from this. But yeah, you're right. When Stuart Dallas rolled that ball through Edison's leg, I've actually been down to the count myself for a little while with a, a ruptured Achilles. And I reckon oh, wow. that's as okay. hard as I've pushed it in the past couple of months. Like, just, <laughs> jumping up on my feet and just pure excitement. And it was and a wonderful a super it was a wonderful fell. super slow mo how the ball just rolled perfectly between <laughs> yeah. between his legs to, to score. So Leeds fans, including you, were uh, well and truly jumping up and down. And that's our Premier League coverage for the week. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know what, Richard? It is, because we spoke too much about the Champions League. So, mate, listen, uh, we, but we wouldn't let you go without uh, indulging you to, to chat about uh, the Whites, mate. That was incredible. <laughs> Tenth spot in the Premier League on their return after 20 years. It's just been massive. So congratulations to you as a fan and, and mate, as a friend of the show, thank you for coming back on again and uh, analysing Champions League uh, as well for us, mate. I appreciate that, boys. Uh, thanks for your time, and hopefully the Leeds can keep it up and the Champions League can stay entertaining, and we'll chat soon. Thank you, Richard. Before we go to the break, let's talk about our good friends at Chemist Warehouse. Uh, you might have needed some energy pills uh, after that. You would get your Barocca, your vitamin B at Chemist Warehouse, of course. So stock up with Chemist Warehouse on everything you need, including the half-price Colgate Optic White Range for $3.99, the Oral-B Vitality Power Toothbrush Range, now just $19.99 each. Save $30 off recommended retail. Half-price off the Colgate Smile for Good Range, and Sensodyne toothpaste rapid relief or repair and protect 100 grams just $8.99 you want to lose some weight get to Chemist Warehouse there's OptiSlim VLCD Platinum Shakes assorted variants $29.99 each there's the OptiSlim VLCD bar 5 pack assorted variants $14.99 and half price off the entire Fat Blaster range get to Chemist Warehouse they do have the greatest prices every single day greatest savings at Chemist Warehouse Box to Box for Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal. Our bumper show this week on Box to Box. It is stoppage time. The fourth official's given us about eight minutes to discuss, um, and we're going to pick this conversation up down the track. We might get some of the uh, uh, the members, the living members of um, of the SBS uh, World Game Show on the show to discuss some of the good times because we've all got great memories. But you know, it's uh, I think being fair described as a, a watering down of SBS's total commitment to football. Uh, the uh, the World Game as a, a, 
a brand has existed uh, with SBS since 2001. It, as Vince Regari uh, so uh, eloquently wrote in his copy uh, in the Sydney Morning Herald, it uh, was the successor to the equally influential On the Ball with uh, with Les Murray and, and Johnny Warren, uh, which they hosted from 1984 onwards. Uh, and I know I, for one, am a person who uh, considers the World Game website as a go-to place for for news, breaking news, uh, deep dive information on on football, and to have it announced that um, that that brand will no longer exist. Edge is uh, it's just it's a sad day for football even though SBS will still have the rights to uh, to to many football uh, tournaments and, and competitions it certainly is I, I must admit I'm um, I feel I feel like I've lost a, a family member because it is um, to a certain extent it feels like your childhood's been ripped away because uh, those people that were you know like us involved in the game since we were young um, the world game and and prior to that on the ball with you know Les Murray and Johnny Warren and Kyle Patterson and Andy Pascalides and Greg Blake and all those fantastic names um, was a very big part of uh, learning about the game, um, the culture that supported the game in Australia, in particular the migrant communities, which uh, is the bedrock of... And that you knew, even though the other mainstream media might ignore football, yeah. that you could go there That's right. and you'd yeah. get quality content. And don't forget, in the early days, the ball game was on air for six hours on a yeah. Sunday. Yeah. So I remember, you know, we were off, you know, involved in the game, but we would record it and... Yes. And, uh, yeah. and you would watch it at different times, and and obviously there was the, obviously there was the the Toyota World Sport too, wasn't there? Where mm-hmm. which uh, football, uh, a la soccer, got a lion's share of that uh, mm-hmm. that program as well because Les, Les Murray was was hosting it. So yeah, this is a very sad time. Uh, SBS for me was never special broadcasting service; it was mm-hmm. always soccer broadcasting <laughs> service. So mm-hmm. um, it's a a changing of the guard, but it's not unpredicted, is it? It's not. Mm. Uh, Without uh, understanding associated with uh, obviously the the uh, the emergence of streaming services yeah, and content yeah. providers and uh, the traditional broadcasters are going by the wayside. I want to ask Dino, um, Dino. So as an expat um, who who yep. grew up, born and bred with football, so it was your bread and butter um, throughout your life. Um, the newspapers, the TV, the radio, it was just a football. So you come to Australia, you knew what you were coming to, you knew that it wasn't uh, the main game, but you also would have known that uh, you had this little um, this little hub, a little oasis there that you could uh, you could turn on and you could feel like that someone really cared about football in this country. When I grew up in, in England, uh, obviously then we moved to America. So from about, let's say, 14, 15, I was in America, so there was absolutely nothing to do with football up there. It's all all American sports. So uh, by the time I got to Australia, I was hanging for something that was going to actually, you know, get get the appetite back like it was when I was uh, growing up in England. And and SBS was definitely the, the vehicle. Um, you know, and spent many an hour as Edge just said um, watching the, the the play. You know, the replays because you know you could record things in those days. I don't think we'd be doing that now, but. I just thought it was a. It was. They were all passionate. Uh, I thought they did it really, really well, and it always felt that you you had like a, a bit of skin in the game, and you were part of the family. You certainly did, didn't you? And but there were some fantastic moments. I mean, obviously, Damien Lovelock and the fans' corner on uh, the world game in the later days. Yeah, yeah, he was fantastic. Had a reverent uh, edge, but he knew what he was talking about. He did know what he was talking about, and he always had a, that quirky sort of angle on on uh, on the game. But I did love um, the the skits from Andy Pascalides and Greg Blake in particular. I can remember Andy Pascalides uh, used to be pre- pretend to be the the Greek cab driver, the Sydney <laughs> Olympic fan. 
man, and he'd have he'd have the uh, you know the, the the players from the various clubs in the back seat of the cab, and he'd say, "Oh, Oscar Crino, you're in my cab," you know, and uh, that was always a, a lot of fun. And uh, and obviously Greg Blake for Melbourne uh, fans, uh, Greg Blake was a lot of fun uh, around Preston and Heidelberg and South Melbourne and Melbourne's at Brunswick Juventus and Moyle Falcons and all those clubs, all those uh, stuff that he used to do, and it was a lot of fun. And it was um, probably not political correct in the modern term, um, but back what then, was. yeah, what was? But back then, it was uh, we we used to poke a lot of fun at ourselves, didn't we, Dean? We did, and I think uh, as well, you know, on SBS, I mean, the World Cup was a big factor as well, especially in the early. It days. was, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. You, know, you, you wouldn't see and it. And Italian know? football as well, yeah. And Italian football, yeah, that was again that that that, that was always good. So. They've got a lot to be proud of. I think we just need to understand the landscape's changed, and and now there's, uh, in many ways, it's 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 a positive that uh, football's migrating to more mainstream offerings. Does that make the brand available, Edge? I mean, um, well, I, I would wouldn't know off the top of my head. Probably not. It's uh, tongue in cheek, mate. I mean, um, yeah. But the world game in particular. Is it easier to apologise than ask permission? Have we got a segment in this? Yeah, we, we I'm sure we do. Yeah. But, but the world. What about Willem though? I mean, oh, he's a young bloke. He's and a young he's, fella. He's yeah. whole life Have you ever watched been. any of the old stuff? Have you, no. you know what we're talking about here, Andy Pascalides and yeah, I Greg do know what we're talking about. So I did. Yeah, I've obviously come through a little bit later and the World Game and SBS haven't been the primary broadcaster. It's, I've sort of come through the, the Fox, Fox era. Yeah. But it's still, even for someone of my age, known and sort of drilled into you that this is the history and this is where it did all sort of build and, you know, legacy names like Johnny Warren and Les Murray, it's sort of, yeah, drilled into you that that's where the game started. But I didn't have Fox growing up. So even someone of my age, when I first started to get into the A-League, all I had was, even then they broadcast... I actually got into the A-League once they started broadcasting just the one game on the Friday night. Mm. It wasn't a lot, but even sort of small efforts like that mm. went but, a long way. I but think. don't forget Champions League too, Dino, was on, on the uh, was the World Game brand that used to wrap around the ch- European Champions League. I remember, obviously, uh, I did a lot of work with Johnny Warren when he, when he was alive and, uh, and developed a very good friendship with him. I remember he invited me in one night when I was in Sydney and I went into... Uh, the, the studios and and it was it was fantastic and uh, Johnny used to smoke so many cigarettes and uh, we went into his uh, office and uh, actually in Les's office and he closed the door and he was smoking in Les's office which I'm sure he weren't allowed to do in the Artiman Studios but he was smoking so many cigarettes that the fire alarm went off and uh, you know that it's there, there was so many well um, you've still got a few copies of um, well the, you know I mean. Um, uh, on the ball used to be known as Mr. and Mrs. Football, and you've still got some copies of that actual book, signed copies. Well, um, the, yeah, I'm still um, waiting for my Sheila's Wogs and Poofters was yeah, the title yeah. of the book, The Johnnies. I'm not yeah, yeah. being politically incorrect there. This I've the got title the, of the, 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 the 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 um sequel was uh, was Mr. and Mrs. Mrs. Football, Ball, which, I, which, which Les wrote, but yeah, Johnny's yeah. book was Sheila's Wogs and Poofters. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Dino, um, we'll talk about this more, um, and um, and um, remember well, uh, you know, some of the the good stories with um, maybe Greg or Andy in the not too far. We'll get Greg on. Yeah, Greg. Greg is. And Andy, but Greg mm. is—he's uh, got a, a thousand stories here. All right, see you, Dino. Yeah, see you later. Well done, boys. Thank you, Willem. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Michael. Thanks, Roberto. Thank you, Michael and uh, Damo on the buttons as always. Uh, the legend that he is. All right, uh, thank you for another big week. It's been a fun show this week. We look forward to you joining us next week when we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.